Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we had the honor uh, to have a returning guest, and actually, a returning twice guest this week, <laughs> I shall say. Alan Alford has been our, our guest in the previous season and now returns hot and as a mystery guest and an unmystery guest in this time. I'd like to welcome everybody back and the ball to Alan. Veteran CISO, Defending Depth podcast co-host, Crusher of Podcasts. What are the what are the what are the, what are the name that we need to add? Right, cybersecurity man everywhere. about town. How about that? That's what I want to say. Just, guy who gets around. Um, that, that that's me. More, tell us a bit more what you're doing, what you are, why you're in London so many times virtually, and right. what you've been doing up to right now, and future project, you know, and a little bit of background about yourself for the small population that still doesn't know you. <laughs> okay. So uh, I've, been in, I've been in information technology and engineering uh, for probably, you know, 30 plus years now. I've been in security for 20 plus years and I have worked in a variety of roles. I've been a CISO uh, a few times over now uh, in a variety of industries, telecommunications, uh, education, uh, security itself actually was CISO at a security company. And now I'm in an interesting role of being sort of a, a combination, regular CISO meets uh, CISO consultant type role where I'm actually client facing, uh, working with a lot of clients all over the world. That, that's part of why I'm out and about. Uh, and part of it is as well that I'm really wired into the CISO community. Uh, for those who don't know me, you know, follow me on LinkedIn, join me on LinkedIn, connect. Uh, I've got a, a very large community that I've built in LinkedIn where we have a lot of cyber conversations. And I'm involved in all kinds of groups and organizations and, and Slack channels and, and things. And so I've, I've kind of got my finger on the pulse of a whole lot of CISOs. And the reason I do all that and do all the podcasting is it's important for me to stay abreast, stay current, understand what the trends are, the concerns are, because I've got clients, like I said, all over the globe. And I try to always give them the best and most current thinking in the industry. And so it's kind of really good for me to just sort of always people be out there meeting people and, and, and doing things. So connect with me on LinkedIn, listen to my podcast, Defense in Depth, join the conversation. I would love to hear from you. And Twitter now. And now you're a Twitter boy. <laughs> yes. At Alan Alford, N-T-X, I-N-T-X, like in Texas. Perfect. And yeah, uh, as well, connect with us. Uh, we are on everywhere as well, fellow kids. <laughs> with exception of TikTok yet. <laughs> There you go. And CISOseries.com is, is, the, is the best landing place for my podcast. It's available everywhere, but CISOseries.com is the best landing place. Yeah, and it has also a very nice and interesting blog post. And actually, I was discussing 
with David about the length of a, of, of a blog post that I want to touch a little bit in a second. But before we touch that, you mentioned that you have a pulse on the industry, you have a lot of the conversations. So what do you see right now uh, in the industry? Where do you see the state of the industry? Where do we see the maturity of the industry being? And if you see a common trend around the industry, which one it is? Yeah, I... I hate to bring up COVID because I'm sure by now it's been talked to death uh, in a lot of forums by a lot of people. But from a cyber perspective, to me, there's an industry trend. There's a change in our thinking that's occurred because of COVID. And I think some of us were already there and we're already headed there, maybe even already were there. But I think a whole lot more of us have been sort of nudged there by COVID. And what there is to me is uh, a world in which a lot of our security tools are SaaS based. Uh, in which the perimeter and the on-prem paradigm are, are shattered, where we consider the perimeter either to be non-existent or, or maybe even, you know, we can say the endpoint is the perimeter. I've heard a few phrases to describe it. But this idea that, that what might have been occasional, you know, one of our employees at, at the coffee shop or maybe at home or whatever it might have been, the idea that this, this new normal in cyber is, is that everybody is in that state on a permanent basis. And it's a very different paradigm shift. And I think a lot of companies had some remote work thinking and, mm -hmm. and from a cyber perspective, we're making decisions that maybe weren't the more robust decisions to make or, or maybe weren't scalable to the magnitude and degree that we have now. I've seen a lot of uh, shops. And again, I talk to CISOs all over the planet and I'm always polling people. What, what have you done? What have you seen? Where did you get stuck? And one of the things I've seen is that a lot of people had a, a robust enough VPN infrastructure to handle some portion of the, the audience, you know, being mm -hmm. remote, but not everybody. And so from a cyber perspective, one of the things that's happened is a lot of companies have decided to enable split tunneling, right? To, to accommodate the bandwidth saturation problem, they flip on split, split, split tunneling. And now all of a sudden everybody's getting their internet from over here and they're and the security control are completely out. Yes. Other people I've noticed have ramped up their VDI capabilities, which I mm -hmm. think is a good security uh, position to be in response to all of this. VDI to me is always better than VPN in terms of you know connectivity security. But similarly, I've seen a lot of people opening up RDP to the internet, which oh, yeah. you know once again, <laughs> we you know it's you're seeing you're seeing this full spectrum. I think it's, it's a new pandemic of seeing RDP over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, and and then the other piece I think that that's COVID related in terms of cyber is there's been a real uptick in malware, ransomware, uh, mm. phishing attacks, you know, business email compromise. Like basically there's an awful lot of entities out there taking advantage of the COVID situation, uh, claiming to be the World Health Organization or claiming to be some authority figure in, involved in COVID. Get the latest news here. Uh, learn what you can do to protect yourself there. There's all kinds of very convincing emails getting flown around the internet right now that aren't in fact legitimate, that, that are malicious. And there's been an uptick in that behavior. I've actually seen a downstream and I was discussing this with uh, Stu in the previous podcast uh, on, on how much the industry is trying to break with phishing attack and phishing attack, the company and the organization. And there is a big concern of organizations saying, well, we are concerned that our VPN is going to get breached, that we're going to get attacked via emails uh, using COVID and COVID-related. So we had here in the UK the NHS one. Uh, I'm sure in US we had a, a whole stream of healthcare provider and organization that have, you know, being impersonated by attacker because attackers don't have a moral campus. So they're going to use, they're going to use the COVID story. But now we've seen a decrease and uh, people being more careful about this thing, specifically because they're at home. 
So maybe at the beginning, uh, I was discussing with you with you pen testers, uh, including uh, Stu, that we've seen an uptake in these kind of attacks, but now is is a decrease and more uh, uh, transitioning into more uh, the traditional uh, attack methods of uh, you know side channels or uh, the traditional email phishing. So COVID related, I think there's been a lot of media attention to scare people and and draw attention. So right now, uh, everybody's jumping on, on the Black Leaf Matters uh, because it's a new trending thing and people are paying less attention to that while people are paying a lot of attention, for example, in, in the COVID-related spam and phishing. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's mm-hmm. an interesting uptake where we see uh, people being more aware of challenges. Yep, yep. And, and fake websites are, pl- are proliferating as well. Right. There's a lot of fake COVID websites that are malicious in nature. And then and then you mentioned healthcare. The other interesting trend to me with, with COVID and healthcare is how much healthcare has had to sort of overnight embrace remote working. Mm-hmm. This is a field, this is an industry that wasn't there. Telehealth was a small experiment in, in various small places here and there. And I've just seen from my own personal experience talking to my doctor or, you know, my wife talking to her doctor or whatever. And, and my wife works in a hospital as well. Like there's there's a lot of and I've got friends who are medical CISOs. So, again, I'm always <laughs> gathering all this data and all these opinions. I've got friends that are healthcare CISOs. There are dozens and dozens of solutions for the telehealth, some of which are more secure and some of which are less. Uh, some of which will talk about being uh, HIPAA compliant, which in the U.S., you know, HIPAA is a really big deal for mm-hmm. you know, protecting personal health information. Uh, some of which are not. Some, you know, and and so there's this whole wealth of of the whole healthcare industry having to figure out how do we talk, how do we connect, how do we communicate with our patients in a safe and secure manner. And with COVID itself, you're also seeing that these kinds of tools are actually now being used not just for remote uh, telehealth, but even within the confines of the hospital itself. In other words. Uh, I'm sure we've all seen in the press, you know, protective gear for mm-hmm. the for the healthcare workers was at a low. You know, people were having trouble getting masks and gowns and gloves and all these things that were necessary. And so, even within the hospital, people are starting to use remote communication capabilities, where literally the patient is in the room, the doctor is outside of the room, and they're both on tablets chatting through the tablet, just just because it saves a whole another cycle of using up protective yeah, gear. Yeah, but that's a right? clever. It's an outside, is an out of the box thinking, and we we saw a little digital transformation happening due to COVID. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of organizations have been put in the front end of you know. Um, Companies that weren't digital before all of a sudden became digital or digital was effectively the quick and easy and cheap, if you want, way to effectively address this social distancing problem. Yes, yes. And and there's another little cultural change that came out of it. One of my barometers uh, for how successful a company really is at, at dominating in their space is when the company name becomes a verb. <laughs> People say, did you Google that? You know, let's Google this, Google that, Google the other. It's a verb. Google has made it. Search engine equals Google equals a verb. Let's Google that. I'm hearing more and more. Let's zoom. 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 Let's zoom. (laughs) Uh, So I think I I think there's a you know, there's been a cultural shift there as well. Uh, Video conferencing is now the norm. Uh, and and Zoom and themselves in particular seems to have really <laughs> done well by all this. Yeah, and, and video conference has been a challenge for years. Everybody got it slightly wrong <laughs> in a different right. way. Right. They were different nuances. And and I think right now, uh, Zoom was impressive, the, the, specifically the response. So I had a couple of friends that discovered a couple of the, uh, the infamous, the first infamous RCE and a few zero days on Zoom. And I particularly appreciate the way the CIO 
of Zoom engage with the, uh, if you want, researcher community. And mm -hmm. instead of just denying and saying, yeah, we're a startup, we, we have security flow, we're going to fix it, period. Yep, yep. Nice and simple. And that's, I, I really appreciated that because there will be security issue. And instead of hiding it, they just head on, address them. And, and yeah, they, they tackle it. They got on top of it. They tackled it. They started releasing updates. They they came out. And yeah, there were concerns about locations in China, and they addressed that. And yeah. And version five, I think, is is out since few days with the end-to-end -end encryption, and a lot of things are coming out. But a company that wasn't under scrutiny, all of a sudden became under global scrutiny mm -hmm. under every kind of legislation on earth. So naturally, that they had to spin up. But yeah. In, in in like it happened with Netflix, with Amazon, I think right now we're going to see the new stream of new digital era. I think I really believe we're going to see organization popping. And Netflix itself became one of the most valuable company, even more than I think surpassed Disney by a mile. Yeah, yeah. So anybody that did digital before actually was accelerated and any organization i think the statistic was whatever we had in three years of digital transformation was compressed in two months yes yes and that was I, interesting i fully agree i fully agree now there's an intersection point that's always for me a personal point of interest because i used to be a CISO at a video conferencing company and this dissolution of the perimeter we talked about where the perimeter is now the endpoint mm -hmm. right the infrastructure-based video conferencing industry, I haven't, I haven't talked to my friends and, and connections there, but I strongly suspect they've taken a hit. I strongly suspect that infrastructure-based video conferencing is suffering just like infrastructure-based VPN is getting replaced with, with other you know, SaaS-based solutions, et cetera. This idea that Zoom can be done from anywhere from the endpoint, it's an endpoint-to-endpoint yeah. endpoint communication. I, I think that's a key variable in all this as well, and I'm real curious to see, you know, and, and telephony, even just basic telephony, look at, Look at your desk phone. When's the last time, now that you're working from home, when's the last time you used your desk phone? I actually, right? I never had a desk phone for 12 years. There you go. So Near a home. I, yeah, yeah. And I, I think these are trends we're starting to see as well, that both desktop telephony, infrastructure-based telephony, uh, at-work telephony, at-work video conferencing, infrastructure-based video conferencing. I think all of these things are now being looked at as, you know, huh. And Zoom may not have the same video quality, right? I mean, I, you know, I, to, to speak for an industry I used to work in, there was some phenomenal quality and capability for yeah. these infrastructure-based solutions. But I'm starting to feel like like the world has decided, yeah, Zoom's good enough, you know? Exactly. So it's best effort. So I don't, I, I, I agree with you. Hardware-based delivers an amazing quality and to deliver a certain level of quality for video and consistent, it requires hardware. It requires this decent hardware, especially when the meeting becomes multiple people, multiple stream. It becomes challenging for any software base unless you upgrade. And maybe here in the West, it's fine. But some of my, my clients had the challenge that uh, in China, in all location where everybody was forced to stay at home, they didn't have mm -hmm. the ca capability. We didn't, they didn't have the enough device, enough mm -hmm. mobile device to give to everybody. And those devices that people could scramble across, uh, even even they had virtual desktop, they didn't have the capability or the hardware power. So in location, in, in certain locations, Zoom could work, but in certain other locations, a hardware-based solution might still work. Now, yeah. in due time, I think the, the thing will shift, but there will be still a balance. I think what yeah. Zoom, where Zoom win was 
because there was a need and that was a quick and dirty solution to address everybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But is is benchmark level quality? Yeah, no, it's it's a very valid point. As the perimeter dissolves and pushes out, the bandwidth has to be there pushed out as well, right? Without that bandwidth at the edge, you you lose the benefits of being at the edge. And and, and some of the older infrastructure solutions, you know, in certain environments, like like you may not have good connectivity to somebody's house, but you still had a good connectivity back home on prem, back home in the corporation. So that that piece that piece is not working right uh, in those environments for sure. But uh, you, you touch you touch several points on the effectively dissolve of the perimeter that kind of touch the zero trust network or the software defined perimeter if you want. That yep. is actually a piece of work that the Cloud Security Alliance is working heavily on. We're going to have mm -hmm. a, a series of webinar on that to demystify zero trust network because I think mm -hmm. it's, a, mm -hmm. it's a term that is abused. But where do you see that that uptaking? Where do you see that leading, that software-defined perimeter, or, or if you want, dissolve of the perimeter, traditional perimeter? Yeah, so I, I presented at a lunch uh, a few years ago now with the CIO. Uh, he was the, the co-presenter was the CIO of a, um, a very popular single sign-on company. And as, as there he, are many of them. <laughs> right? He told, he told the crowd, he told the audience in this presentation that he literally had no on-prem there was no longer a prem. Hmm. Every single application his users used in his shop was a SaaS-based application. Everybody logged in through single sign-on, federation, et cetera, and went to the outside. That his on-prem team consisted of nothing more than the guys that ran a few network switches to make sure the cables you know, got to the desktops. That there was no perimeter to protect anymore in the building. There was no longer a data center. There were no longer servers. It was strictly endpoints connecting through the same single sign-on federation mm -hmm. uh, that anybody else would connect to from home, from the coffee shop, et cetera. And he was entirely on-prem. Now that's a lofty goal that most of us are never going to achieve because most of us aren't new companies. Most exactly. of us have legacy stuff that's been there forever, but it's still a very compelling story. Uh, I think it's a testament to a few things. One is that the application layer. Let's let's look at that first. The applications that that the humans in the shop need. I need to log into my HR system. I need to log into my payroll system. I need to log into whatever those might be. There are now strong mm -hmm. SaaS-based options for every one of those needs. That's that's statement one about this. Statement two about this is sort of infrastructure as code and and single sign-on and federation and the fact that that you can have a cloud-based solution manage your access to all of these things as well. And the third is the security piece that the security tools themselves now also have a strong SaaS offering for almost everything you want to do, right? To secure can, a SaaS, you, you need a SaaS, a SaaS security tool. If you, have, if you have a SaaS infrastructure, if you have a SaaS uh, application layer and you have SaaS security tools to manage it all, oh, oh, you've won the game. You're I managing agree. the fact that your perimeter is out there all over the world. And even, and even more, traditional security control like firewalling and other stuff might not work in that specific environment. How do exactly. you firewall a bunch of SaaS solutions unless you want to, you know, proxy them out in on-prem and just clank as a, a, an old solution? So yeah. also in other solution. But as you yeah. said, also that, that's nirvana. That's the nirvana of digital yeah. transformation yeah. where you know what everybody's modern. Everybody has an API. Uh, is data driven everywhere? You can access data everywhere, and you can secure things with modern technology. But a lot, especially in the banking world, a lot of things where uh, we operate specifically, 
we saw COBOL, we saw mainframe, mm -hmm. we saw mm -hmm. very traditional thing. Mm -hmm. And I've seen innovative things in the space where they were trying to build virtualization on, on, on top of mainframe. So I've seen some innovation in there, but a lot of organization will still deal with a lot of legacy. But yep, absolutely. My, my take on that will be that you reduce your footprint of legacy as much as you can to the mm -hmm. critical things that are not feasible they're going to die eventually in uh, at some stage. So you reduce it, you secure it, and you know that they're going to be fragile, but right. you build eventually a layer on top of it that is modern. So effectively you put of your Fiat, you put like <laughs> a nice, a nice Ferrari on top of it and you, you kind of modernize your, your, yep. your Cinquecento. <laughs> yep, exactly. You, it's, uh, it's the old cowboy movies, you know, the, the Native Americans would come charging over the hill on their horses and, and they would circle the wagons, right? They would get all the wagons together in a tight circle and everybody would hide in the middle. And, and that's, that's it. Circle your wagons, right? It's it, reduce the footprint, shrink down the size of that perimeter. Even if you have legacy, which uh, most of us do, most of yeah. us are never going to achieve that ideal state of no, no prem at all. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Reduce it, shrink it, harden it, contain it, get it down to one thing. Network segmentation is key. Dare I say micro segmentation. And, uh, you know, stop, get, stop, get, stop giving people nirvana and getting people excited about things that are possible. And then they go back to right? the office. Let's do micro segmentation. Uh. <laughs> oh, okay. To divide these networks is going to take two years. Right, right, right. Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor, and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. No, on that topic, actually, I said use COVID. So COVID could be a good chance to segment the network. There you go. Because everybody's out of the office and you have the only connectivity in is a network where you have your service and your VPN endpoint. Everything else could be segmented. I like it. I like I it. I saw a couple of CISO that pushed that thing despite the COVID, despite the mm -hmm. challenge. I can't name names, but they pushed their agenda and they say, you know what? Both sign in on the risk. There is a limited risk because we're going to protect, you know, the critical service. We're not going to segment them off, but we're going to segment everybody else. And a project mm -hmm. that was scheduled in four years, it turned out to be two months. Nice. Nice. Now that's... So use yeah. quick, quick thinking and use, use the opportunity with everybody out of the office to actually do those transformations that normally would require years. Right, right. Yeah, it's the old never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Correct. But that's perfect, especially with your audience gone, right? I mean, and that's just, that's nothing more than a paradigm of old school IT thinking. I mean, when I was in IT years ago, uh, I just knew Christmas vacation, I was going to be working, right? Because yes. <laughs> when everybody's gone is you when can you can actually tear things down, rip things up, replace things, switch things, unplug things, resegment things, whatever you were doing. You have to wait until the audience is gone. Well, with COVID, the audience is gone. 
<laughs> so, I, I, I remember the good old network refresh or replugging switches on yep, Christmas. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that's your Christmas, Christmas <laughs> Exactly. All your friends are talking about all the fun they're having with their families, and you're going eggnog and network switches. Eggnog and network there, switches. There you go. There you go. There you go. So it's yeah, it's that same paradigm. That's actually really smart. I hadn't I hadn't heard of anyone doing that, taking advantage of the the crowd being gone to do network segmentation. But that's that's perfect. That's exactly the right approach to these kinds of events. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's a smart thing too. Is is the out uh, out of the box thinking that help uh, bringing the digital transformation ahead, and as you said, not getting a crisis good waste. Yeah. And what what are the what are the good story horror stories that you can share? Have you seen over the years when crisis has gone bad or good? You know, I, with COVID itself, with this particular crisis, I don't know that I've seen a whole lot of true horror stories. I've seen some some tough conversations and tough decision making mm -hmm. regarding you know allowing people to connect and do their do what they need to do to do their jobs versus security like that that you know that tension was certainly on the table in a number of environments with a number of folks i've talked to um i, I believe business continuity and disaster recovery planning is probably the one area where an awful lot of people just got blown up I think everyone thought they had a good BCP, and and a lot of people even talked about the word pandemic in their BCP. But I don't know that anybody planned on global pandemic, other than a small handful of us, right? A, a lot of people Especially had what they thought one. was an appropriate response, and they they weren't ready for the scale and magnitude of this thing. Especially the Asian country that experienced similar pandemics, so the SARS, the Mars, they experienced this before, so they were ready. I think the West was less ready with this yes. global scale pandemic because let's talk frankly you're never gonna give uh, a probability a high probability up up to the point where something happens then the probability gets uh, the perception of a probability change drastically yeah yeah and or even yes that's and that's definitely part of it um I think some folks weren't even considering global at all, though. Like, it wasn't even a probability game. Mm. It was basically a de facto assumption of zero probability that this phenomenon would be global. People put together these gorgeous plans about if Cincinnati goes down, London will take over. If London goes down, Bangalore will take over. If Bangalore goes down, you know, Tokyo will take over. And, and everything Tokyo goes down. down. Berlin will take over. And now they're all down. <laughs> you know? So, so folks just... Folks weren't planning for that in some cases, and I feel like I feel like there's going to be a massive backlash over the next few months of everybody revisiting—not everybody, but most folks revisiting BCP, uh, DRP, probably getting renewed budget for it for things that before because BCP often too. And and again, this is you know I talk to everybody, so I'm getting these collected stories from around the world. I, I think BCP is often, uh, you know, relegated to a role of labor only and minimal budget. Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of shops, it ends up being a phenomenon of let's get some people together, let's do some paperwork, let's have meetings, let's do tabletop exercises, you know, uh, and maybe for DR, we'll spend a little money on a backup server, but but like the spend is not there. But and it's, I never, think it's never actually tested in the full extent of, okay, today we shut down or tomorrow. So I start hearing clients that say, okay, before the or, or when the pandemic was ramping up and some of my clients had a lot of Asia presence, so mm -hmm. they start feeling that, okay, these things could become upscale. So let's test it right now, quickly. Next week, all the leadership team, 
is going to work from home. And yeah. let's test it out. So in a smaller scale, quick test, quick turnaround, and testing these that normally would have been, okay, let's assume a tabletop exercise. So moving from let's assume to actually let's do it on a small scale, let's get approval. Yeah. Out of the blue, the perception of something that could happen, it became a real possibility and budgets yes. were unlocked or what normally we'll say, no, it's impossible. It became, yeah, let's, let's try it out. Yep, I, I think IT is securing more budget as we speak for various things related to COVID. And I think when it comes to information security that BCP is one of those areas where if you're not asking for more budget, you should be. Mm. Because it's definitely, even if you felt like you did it right, even if you did plan for global, even if you did test, I can guarantee there were still some variables here with COVID that you didn't plan on. Like who planned on it being three months? Who planned on it? You know, there's there's some variable here that that probably didn't get fully stressed. Most BCP plans are our imagination exercises. You know, our imaginations are only so good. Yeah, we never we never experienced right now. It's it's a totally different experience, and I think also what wasn't tested, and that's my impression. I might be wrong on this, but what I seen is that the BCP and the DR not practicing it or not practicing, you know, an, a real emergency situation, you kind of lose that muscle memory or the muscle practice when you're doing something over and over and over. And when it actually happened, you already have the skill to react in a proper way, you know, mm -hmm. don't panic, think clearly, go by procedure. That is not necessarily trying a BCP or the outcome, but is the exercise of the drill. So you yeah. are prepared yeah. for an emergency, regardless mm -hmm. of that emergency, so you don't panic. And normally people panic and react in, in any kind of crazy way. And we saw that with, as you said, people signing off the risk of you know, split tunneling without considering the bigger impact. And because we are in that particular situation, we're not thinking clearly, we're thinking with the frontal part of the brain, reactive, not strategic, mm -hmm. very tactic, mm -hmm. and if you're not trained to actually do an incident management over and over and over, you don't have that muscle memory. So have you seen that kind of learning from people that you talk with or? I, I have, I have. I've seen people dust off playbooks, <laughs> you know, and, and recognize that, gee, we should have been doing this more regularly. This should have been part of our daily practice, our monthly mm -hmm. practice anyway, maybe our quarterly practice, whatever, but it should have been a more regular part of the practice. And I think I think your analogy is perfect because it's the same thing as incident response. Like like ignore the big picture BCP and DR and shrink back down to, you know, this one server got hacked or it looks like it might have gotten hacked. You should have an incident response playbook, an incident response person or team or, you know, depending on the size of your organization. And everyone should know. You should be able to pull that book out and right at the top is the list of who do you contact, how and why, and here's their contact information. Who owns what? Who has the flow? Who's in charge? Who supplements, who steps in and represents, how do we, you know, all of those things should be in that document. And I think for small scale incident response, most of us do that pretty well. Mm -hmm. Most of us have that because you've been through a few of them, you get good at it, right? But the it's large scale incidents, we haven't been through a few of them, right? So, so it's, you have to exercise that muscle. You have to. Uh, even you know, if it's just standing in the mirror, you got to lift those weights, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Turn off the guns. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it's joke aside, it's it's absolutely right. And even if you don't have a plan for it, at least you have the muscle memory or the way to react to that plan so that, you know, maybe your your playbook is not perfect, but you can adapt that playbook to the new situation because, you know, you, you, you have practice so that playbook becomes kind of the norm. So maybe you, 
everybody is in the list is not available but maybe you find another way to get in contact with them and you you should definitely update the playbook so that at the end of the uh, at the end of the crisis you have a new playbook exactly never let a good crisis go to waste absolutely so document document as much as possible whatever whatever new incident practice we've we've done but yeah and document all the risk acceptance that have happened in this one and revisit them absolutely with a more calm mind because i think right now a lot of organizations are taking very drastic step to contrast the risk of not being able to be in production or not being able to right. survive those decisions you know as well as i do once it's done it's done it's yeah. very difficult to go back on this thing so yeah. Have you seen a lot of people documenting those risk, risk exceptional acceptance? Or... I, I have. I have. I've seen a lot of activity in that space. And, and I'm going to make a prediction. Barring industries like manufacturing where people simply have to be in the building, I strongly suspect we're going to see two trends. One trend is that the companies who did prepare the most and did already have these things ready, had their zero trust in, in place or some, some modicum of it, had their BCP relatively healthy or, you know, et cetera. I think the companies that were the most prepared were going to see continuing with an awful lot of work from home, even if they weren't doing it before. Mm -hmm. I think the companies that were prepared aren't suffering the cost of work from home and are seeing the benefits of work from home. I think the companies who were least prepared are probably the ones most feeling like, gee, we got to get these people back in the office as soon as we can, right? And so I think there's I think there's two tiers. Now that's not to say obviously like certain industries, like manufacturing, obviously you need everybody back in the factory. You have to. Uh, and some industries, you know, some sensitive situations, et cetera, they, you know, even in my industry, there's certain environments where you have to have people in the room. But I think there's going to be an overall trend. We're going to see the folks that that were pretty well planned for this are realizing the benefits of this. Uh, and the folks that weren't planning for it so well uh, are scrambling now to do so and and will either get there quickly and continue to do more work from home or won't get there quickly, bring everyone back and then get ready for work from home. <laughs> so you, you may see a boomerang, right? You may see people come back, some more work get done, and then, hey, you get to go back out again now that we're ready this time. And, um, and also that there might be the chance that whenever people go back to, to work, there there is high probability of them getting infected all over again. Yes. You know, and they, they will be actually actually forced. So even even organizations that plan to have everybody back in the office, they should plan for, uh, first of all, a graceful getting back in the office and second, mm -hmm. for a crisis to happen in the office. Yes. Um, and the office environment is going to be really different for a long time, I think. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. And and even those who continue to embrace it and just say, hey, stay at home. We're fine. Let's keep chugging. Even those companies have work to do, right? Don't get me wrong. Everyone's got some work to do on this one. Everyone has some work to do. Yeah. But I think it's degrees. And I think the less work you have to do, the more comfortable you are now with this with this new normal. And and as we said on, on, the, on the webinar the other day, um, no organization will be 100% completely remote because there is still a benefit of mm -hmm. getting together, mm -hmm. whiteboarding exercise, brainstorming, or bringing the team together, or not making making sure that you don't feel the perception or the mission of the company when you are too dispersed and too mm -hmm. away. And also, it helps even with uh, you know rotation or all, all those techniques like. Um, you know, rotating people on the roles, rotating people on the permission and things like that. They were mm -hmm. enforceable in the office. Right now, it's get, are getting weaker. So all mm -hmm. the fraud detection, all those methods that specifically in banking has worked for a long, long time, 
they will not be applicable out of the blue for people that work from remote. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree fully. I, I think that's, yeah, that's precisely it. It's, um, it's going to be an interesting work, but we're going to leave in where I think if we go back and, and, and I strongly believe that in 2021, we might go back to some kind of level of normality. There will be a shifting trend and a lot of interesting discussion of pre-COVID and post-COVID and yep, what yep. people will, will do. And that, that human factor can't be ignored. You're absolutely right about that. The, you know, how do we get together? How do we collaborate? How do we whiteboard? I think you pointed out in the webinar that you know, remote whiteboarding technology isn't caught up with remote video no. technology. It's not there yet. So, so there's some missing components, regardless of everything else we discussed, the readiness, the, the company's posture, BCP technology, et cetera. There is a human element that, that, that a certain amount of work in the office is, is necessary. So, and you mentioned the word rotation, right? That's, that becomes a very interesting challenge from an HR perspective, from a management perspective, from the health and well-being of the company perspective. How do you pull that off? Because you can't say every Wednesday, everyone come in. Yeah. Because the benefit to a company in terms of like, hey, let's say work from home is that they can reduce their footprint. So you can't so, have at, at that point, you can't have everyone in at the same time. So how do you get this team talking to that team? You know, uh, third Thursday of every month, both of these teams are in like, OK, but then we have to do this for every team. But then, you know, so so the human piece of it is still very much up in the air and still very undecided. It has to get there. And I have seen some some backup technologies coming into play to help supplement that. I'm seeing more use of Slack, more use of Teams, more use of tools of that sort where people can create dynamic groups, throw 18 people into it. Everybody chats on that channel. And I'm seeing even silly stuff like virtual happy hours. I don't know if you've participated in any of those yet, but I've, but I've been invited to a dozen virtual happy hours in the last three weeks alone. I've been too busy to attend any of them, but but they're out there. They're happening. And people are starting to, um, you know, people are starting to congregate remotely mm -hmm. uh, for social purposes, for fun, certain amounts of bonding and stuff. And I'm going to try to start participating in some of those as I can, because I think that, you know, maintaining that human connection is critical. So, think, so that's a piece that I think overall is still very undecided and we're still just tentatively poking around solutions for that problem. Yeah, I think, I think we're far away from adjusting to this new normal where we're going to be remote and where even social gathering is going to be a remote social gathering mm -hmm. and to keep the connection alive. Um, on the plus side, it could create some connection that normally you will be too shy. So people in our industry are traditionally shy, are traditionally introvert now with this new medium there might be the chance of people that normally wouldn't shine in the office to shine because you know they're not they're not face to face with the other person they feel a bit more confident mm -hmm. and they can practice a little bit more and maybe if they go back to the office they have a completely different relationship so mm -hmm. i see mm -hmm. a very positive trend of these digital technologies specifically for it and cyber where more introvert people can you yes. know give the best Yep, the the introverts I think are winning right now. Uh, I, I heard a, I heard a joke the other day too that ugly people with pretty eyes are also winning. <laughs> well, you know. you know you can you can decide which part of your body to with some exception you want to be proud of. Right. The, the prettier your eyes, the better off you are right now with the masks on everybody's wearing, right? So, um, I, I, you know, people are joking, but but the reality is uh, the reality is it, it, change the way humans interact. 
and you're changing the rules of the game. Change the rules of the game, and you're changing who's a winner and who's a loser in that game. Not that anybody's a winner or a loser, but you get my metaphor. Folks that, that historically might have been operating at minus three are now operating at plus two. I think, I think introverts are shining right now, and I think it's fantastic. I, th- I think this is something that they, they could benefit from, for sure. And, and as you said in the webinar, there, there will be a chance where everybody now is remote, so the people that are remote are not overlooked or looked upon. On It's, it's the guy that actually do less work, but everybody is actually putting their hours, ex- experiencing yes. this. So working from remote will not be seen anymore as oh, he want to stay home or oh, right. he doesn't want to do work because he want to hide at home. But actually, right. whatever, it's not going to be the, in the office, period. The stigma is lifted. Yeah. You, it you took know, a pandemic. It, it took yeah, a pan- exactly. three months of pandemic too. Exactly. To everybody working in, in the smart way. <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing to me too how often, uh, in my personal experience, most of my meetings, people have their video turned off. <laughs> <laughs> you know that uh you know they're not shaved <laughs> they're still wearing a t-shirt or know? in bed or work. right 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 you don't want to turn still, whatever it might be i i see i seen some zoom call where the host demanded that you turn on the camera <laughs> and people scrambling to get you know you hear weird noise <laughs> right 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 but also on the opposite side we saw um, as you say, the life inside people and potentially the worst of it because I've seen a lot of social engineering and social engineer people just streaming and saying and mapping people's life with the library uh, or what they have in, on the bookshelf or what they have in the house to map the behavior mm-hmm. of people. So hence why I thought it on, on a green screen saying right. my work life is going to be completely separate from my from a yep. day life and I don't want anybody to see my house. I don't want anybody to map my own thing, right. even right. passion. Unless I, yep. I, I decide to disclose on. Yeah. Yeah. I keep, I keep my name at a very boring blank wall. It's, it's perfect. Um, it's the right thing to do, I think, but not everybody's privileged, especially in city like London, in right. city like San Francisco. I mean, Texas, you have massive space. <laughs> yeah. We have, we have a little more land out this way. Yeah. Just that bit. <laughs> Australia is the same. Um, in, in cities where you are a little bit more crammed, like New York, San Francisco, London, uh, you had to find this smart way and solution. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and, and I, uh, it's interesting. The green screen technology with Zoom in particular, uh, this camera supports it where I don't have to have a physical green screen. I can do the background if I want. Mm-hmm. The other computer, the built-in laptop camera, doesn't support it. Oh, so I'm either going to have to go buy a physical green screen or buy an extra webcam and the reality is webcams are impossible to find right now. Just like, uh, you know, is it, I think in the UK, it's sugar right now is hard to get. Uh, it was toilet paper before. Now it's webcams. Glass as well. Glass is, is yeah. getting a shortage because uh, also in the stock market, people are shorting and going long on certain materials mm-hmm. because of that. And they create enormous price spike. Um, yeah, yeah. But this actually is a physical one. Uh, it's not okay. a virtual one and actually delivers the best quality, I had to say. Green screen technology is not new, but the physical yeah. one. I mean, there is there is a point why the cinema industry still stick with the physical green screen. Right. It works. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I have a virtual background for Zoom. It's a, it's a pistol with the bullet coming out the <laughs> other side. <laughs> I'll turn that on occasionally just for fun. And, and, and that's the thing. I was, I was having a, a meeting with my family and we started playing with the Zoom thing. It's like, I surprised them by saying, I'm a bitch. <laughs> today I'm at the beach, then I'm going to go into the mountains, then, you know, I have a new house and stuff like right, that. But right, right. There, there you is, go. As I was saying to you and to Tom, there is only so much 
fun with background that you can play, you ultimately will need to gather back with people because yeah. ultimately we are social people. We, we need to get together. We do. We do. But before we close and with this doom and gloom gone, what is the positive message that you can give everybody? If you positive want. message on, on, on the cyber, on cyber, on the industry, whatever, whatever field, a positive uh, message. Yeah. I think, I think we already sort of said it. So I'll sum it up. And that is, you know, to whatever degree you did or did not plan for a global pandemic, it's here now. Uh, it's happened. That means it can happen again. Your leadership should be aware that it happened and can happen again. I think at this point, that's a, that's a no brainer. We all know that. <laughs> so now's the time to, ask for the budget, ask for the cycles, ask for the attention. Sometimes with BCP, it's not a budget proposal. You know, we, we mentioned earlier, most people treat it as not one. And, and that may still even be completely acceptable, but you had trouble getting people to come to the table. You know, dear manufacturing department, dear HR department, dear legal department, come sit down and participate in this exercise. Well, mm. I suspect they're willing to do so now. So leverage this, take advantage of what has happened to, to draw attention to what you need to improve in your shop get the buy-in, get the involvement, get the engagement, ideally get some more budget as well, and put together a solid plan that shows next time something like this hits, we're going to be better prepared and here's how and here's why. And I think you still have plenty of room to do that right now. So that's, that's my positive message is get on it. You can do it. And don't let a good crisis go to waste, as you say. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Alan, thank you very much for, for joining today. It's been a pleasure as always to have you on and to have a conversation. And I'm sure we're going to see you again very, very soon. <laughs> <laughs> so when's your next gig in London? Uh, my next gig in London, Monday morning, uh, I'm participating in a webcast uh, with one group. I'll have to get, I can get you the details if you want them. And then the City of London Police Department is doing a, a webinar after that. And I'm participating in that one as well. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of different things. And it's all Monday morning, early my time, like five in the morning, you know, Texas time. Uh, but it'll be a good three hours before my workday even starts. I will have done three hours of webinars and that's all happening on Monday. I can, I can get some info for you and link it if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Tag, tag me along and uh, I'll tag along. <laughs> Beautiful. And defense in depth at CISOseries.com. Check us out. Uh, we have these very same kinds of conversations there. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Alan. And thank you everybody for listening in and I'll see you at the next episode. Stay safe and stay cyber happy. See you, Alan. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Cyber